Welcome. So today is uh, the beginning of what's traditionally known as Holy Week in the church. It's been celebrated for years and years and years. And I just want to encourage you to participate that in as, in, in as best you can, because it's a, it's a time this week we're remembering and we're observing uh, the, the, the movements of Jesus, what he did leading up to the cross. And then on Sunday, obviously, we're celebrating the resurrection. But it's so important for us to pay attention, to observe, and see what he did during this week, um, and to ce- really celebrate that. But one thing I think that makes it even more powerful is to remember it in light of, of the world we're living in today. I think you would agree with me that you look around the world, especially coming out of the year we just lived, this world is in pain. This world is broken. Would you agree? And, and I think we're more aware of it than ever. And then you, maybe you're going through something difficult in your life right now, or you see the pain in your own life. And so when, you, when we look back at history at this week, and we see what Jesus did, and we see what he ultimately did on the cross and the resurrection, it really injects confidence and hope about where we are today in our future, and the future when Jesus returns and makes all things right. And so I just want to encourage you to to observe, look at the Gospels, and remember these days and be thinking about them uh, this week. So today is Palm Sunday. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And, it, and it, it's all about uh, what happened on this, on this day. So let's jump in. It says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. He said, Go into the village over there. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt, which is a, which is a, a young donkey. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. Uh, Don't try this on your neighbor when you're borrowing their lawnmower. Probably won't work. Um, But, you know, it's interesting for me as we read this to kind of go, how did this happen? Like, it did happen. So how did, how did it happen? Was it like, did Jesus go behind the scenes and talk to these people beforehand and arrange it? And, and say, my, I'm going to send my disciples and blah, 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 and, this, and they did it? Or was it more like what we see in the Old Testament scriptures of these events where people had dreams? Maybe they had a dream and God spoke to them and, and said what would happen and they were ready to respond. Uh, the scripture doesn't tell us, but it's interesting to think about that. But the bottom line is, is this is what they did. So then Matthew records this note in verse 4. He says, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and he has salvation. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And this is from Zechariah chapter nine, verses nine. And it's written like almost 500 years before this moment. And so, Matthew, when he's writing his gospel, he's always trying to point us to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah King that was prophesied about in the Old Testament to fulfill the prophecies that he would come from the line of David. Matthew's always pointing that. And it's also interesting to show that this is Matthew's note. Because sometimes you read, if you're reading quickly, 
Jesus will uh, just quote Scripture and then fulfill the Scripture or fulfill the Scripture by quoting it. But this is actually Matthew pointing it out, and then Jesus shows us and acts out the Scripture. Uh, so it's important little notes. And then verse 6 says, The two disciples did what Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And Jesus was in the center of the procession. procession. And the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Hosanna, which means save us! For the Son of David, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heavens. And so, you know, this is Jesus on this donkey. He's riding into Jerusalem. And he's already got an entourage of disciples, of people who were curious, and people who were just kind of checking everything out. And then, and, and so they're, they're, when they lay their garments down, it's kind of a symbol of, a, of submission to Jesus' kingly authority. And then the palm branches had to do with kind of Jewish nationalism and, and, and acknowledging that this was the king. And so this is what's happening. And then, so this entourage is coming through Jerusalem. as a big city, and they're causing a scene. And so then the rest of Jerusalem, verse 10, the entire city of Jerusalem was up in, a, in an uproar as he entered. And they said, who is this? Who is this man? And the crowds replied, he's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And so this was a big event. You know, because up until this moment, Jesus was kind of flying or trying to fly under the radar. He was gathering large crowds, but he was always trying to, to, to dodge them and, and be kind of covert. But this was his appointed time, and so he's making an intentional entrance into Jerusalem as who he really is. And so that's what happened. But I love that, that, that the whole city was kind of like, what is going on here? Who is this man? And that's what I want to look at today. Who is this man? What is this day in history, this Palm Sunday, as we like to call it? What is this event? And why is it important? Who is this man? So who do the crowds think that Jesus was? Uh, The crowds, um, they thought that Jesus was the Messiah, which means Savior, but the Messiah King, the Savior and King. But they expected him and thought he would conquer their enemies, which at that time were the Roman Empire, who was in charge of the area. He thought that, they, that this Messiah King would save them by conquering and overthrowing the Roman gover- government and then set up this new government, this new kingdom. But the image in their minds was, was the Old Testament images of like King David, when Israel had a true kingdom and Jerusalem was the city of God. This was the playbook they were working from. And so there were prophecies about this, Jesus being king and establishing and conquering the enemies. But they missed it. They misunderstood the scope of who Jesus was and what he was actually doing. And they missed the timing. The scope was, yes, he was coming to save them from their enemies, but it wasn't just their present enemies, the Roman Empire. 
It was a, it was a spiritual salvation from their sin. But also the timing, he wasn't going to overthrow the government at that time. He wasn't going to physically conquer their enemies at that time. You know, he, that's going to happen when he returns again. And so I think it's like, what I want to do is just caution us from looking at these scriptures from our viewpoint. 2,000 years later, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have all the scriptures. We, we understand the history and judging them going, how did they miss it? How did they miss it? They had all the Old Testament writings that, that said some of the things they believed, but how did they miss it? Uh, because it's easy to do that from where we are, but we can understand how they missed it. We miss it sometimes. We have these expectations about God and who we think he is according to scriptures, but then we, we misunderstand him. We did it last year with the election. That's one example where we kind of put all our eggs in the fact of our human government being right when Jesus was working from a bigger, is working from a bigger playbook, his kingdom, which doesn't just include America, it includes, includes Chinese, our enemies, you know, Iranians, Africa, I won't get any more political than that, Iranian, Iran, Africa, the whole world, Australia, New Zealand, and so they got it wrong, and we get it wrong from time to time. And his plan is much bigger than just setting up shop here on earth, which he will do in the future. But they got it wrong. And so I bring all that up to say that a little side point. One is Jesus is working from his eternal kingdom, which means for us that we are citizens first to his kingdom, which includes all nations that believe in him. Not governments, I'm talking about people, people groups that believe in him of all periods of time. And so we, our loyalty needs to be to his kingdom first, which means we are brothers and sisters to all those people. And then secondly, we have to be good citizens on earth in real time and space. And so that's the hard part to go. How do we stay loyal to, to God's kingdom first, but then be good citizens to the country we live in? So that's kind of that's not the message for today, but it's a it's a good takeaway from this moment because they were thinking from a nationalistic perspective. They were thinking the kingdom of Israel, the Messiah is coming here to establish the kingdom of Israel. And Jesus was like, no, 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 I'm the Messiah King but I'm here to save you from your sin first. And then I'm going to establish a kingdom that includes Gentiles, non-Jews at all different points in history. His scope was much bigger and the timing was off because he wasn't going to deal with the present kingdom at that time. So we understand how they missed it. So we got to have a little grace for them. And I think it's interesting. This crowd was full of some people who truly believed he was the Messiah King and they believed in his message. But then it was also full of people who were just not fully sold out for him, not fully believing in him. And so some of the same people in the crowd who put their cloaks down as symbolism to say, I give my authority to king, to this king. Some of those who put their palm branches down to show that this was the king of Israel. 
We're gonna, and they praised him as, and said, Hosanna, Savior. Praised him as the, the king of the line of David. They worshiped him. Some of these same people at the end of the week would yell with the rest of the crowd, crucify him, because he didn't fulfill their expectation of what a Messiah should look like. Isn't that crazy? The same people who worshiped him on this day in history turned their back on him a week later when he did not do what, he, what they expected him to do. And they yelled, crucify him. The crowds yelled, crucified him. And so Jesus never trusted the crowds, you know, and, and, and because the crowds turn. They turn and they go with what is popular. And so then the question is, because that's what the crowds believed. They believed he was the Messiah King, but they expected a different outcome to him to, to save them now and to overthrow the government now and establish his kingdom now. But that's not what Jesus was doing. How did Jesus present himself? One, he presented himself as he really is. And that is as the Messiah King, yes, the Savior and King, who would save the world by his life, death, and resurrection. And this is all according to the whole scripture, the Old Testament. Not just parts of it, not just the part about kingdom, not just the part about destroying our enemies, but he's coming to save the whole world and establish his eternal kingdom. So yes, they had it halfway right. He was the Messiah King. And so Jesus was, was demonstrating this by acting out the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. But I want to look at chapter, verse 10 as well because it kind of gives a bigger picture of the scope of his ministry and his, and his mission. So Here's what the Old Testament scripture says. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and he has salvation. He's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt, young donkey. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel, the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle and your kings will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. And so this was written like almost 500 years before this moment. And you got to understand, the people of Israel were in exile. They were being dominated. They've been dominated by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and now the Persians. And they've been exiled from their kingdom. They've been incredibly humbled, and their identity has been stripped from them as Jews, God's people. And so this was a prophecy about the future. Your king is going to come. He's going to destroy your oppressors and your enemies. And he's going to establish his eternal kingdom. That's what they were anticipating. But here, so, so let's talk about donkeys for a second, because that's the beginning of the prophecy. That's the way this great king would come in. If you look at history, check this, look at history. No, kings don't ride donkeys, especially colts, which are little baby donkeys, not babies, but young donkeys, barely able to hold up an adult. Kings ride war horses. Think of Napoleon. About said Napoleon Dynamite. Don't think of Napoleon Dynamite. Think of Napoleon the Conqueror. This strong war horse. And he's conquering lands, comes in with his back straight. It's fast. It's just this symbol of power. But this is a donkey. And so there are, in, in Jewish history, there was times 
They're the, and I think they're the only ones who rode donkeys sometimes. In war, they were, the Jewish kings rode horses, but in times of peace, they rode colts. Donkey, baby donkey, young donkeys. And so they did this in, in times of peace. And, there's, and you look back in Scripture, you see Solomon doing this. And you see other mentions of this riding a, a, a colt. And, but here's what the bigger meaning is this. Because if you're going to conquer a people, you come in on that war horse with strength and power. But Jesus premeditated this event, came in on this awkward donkey. And even the way it walks is a little funny. So he's like walking this thing that can barely hold him up. He's coming in awkward. I look awkward right now. Just imagine it. Instead of like this. Look at that. That's way cooler than this. And so he's strolling in, but he did this on purpose because the scripture says he's humble. He's gentle. He's ushering in peace. He's sending the message that he's bringing peace. And he's coming with gentleness and humility, but, and he's bringing peace to the whole world. But here's the crazy part. He's riding towards his death. He's riding towards the cross. That is the message on Jesus' mind. The, all the people in the crowd were like, he's coming to kick some butt, and he's strolling in here in gentleness and humility on this animal that can barely hold him up because he is bringing peace. But the way he could only bring peace to the world is through his death. So in humility, he's riding towards his death. Just pause here for a moment and think about this. We know who Jesus is because we have the whole scriptures. We have 2,000 years of church history. And we know he is king of kings and lords of lords. He's the creator. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's set apart. There's no one like him. And he chose to come in and as a gentle Messiah king to go to his death so that we could experience true peace with our God. Man, that just shows the character of God, and it shows the power of God. Unless you are truly powerful and you understand your authority, you cannot lower yourself by choice. Insecurity is a, is a knowing and awareness that you don't have any power. But he is all-powerful, and in that he's, is he's able to humble himself to be a sacrifice for you and for me. And it's motivated by love. I love that. And so this moment, this scene, this Palm Sunday is all about the gentle Messiah King coming in to ride towards his death so that he could conquer sin and death on the cross and be raised from the dead and give peace to the whole world. And then verse 10 has not been fulfilled yet. It's when he returns again to establish his eternal kingdom. And I love the verse in here, in verse 10, it, all the things he's, he's going to remove the battle chariots, the war horses, you no longer need weapons, because this will be a kingdom of true peace. And here's the deal. If he didn't do the first part, come in as a gentle Savior, Messiah, and die on the cross, we wouldn't be able to experience his kingdom. Because the, the, the Jews thought their biggest problem was the fact that this bully, 
Roman government was in charge. But their bigger problem was their disconnection and separation from God because of their sin. So Jesus' scope of his mission was so much greater than temporary government control. It was to come in and solve the greatest problem of all the world, salvation through forgiveness of sins and being re- restored back into a proper relationship with God the Father. And so if he didn't accomplish that first, and he did what the crowd wanted, we wouldn't be able to experience the peace that will come one day when he establishes, defeats his enemies, and establishes his eternal kingdom. The way of Scripture to to describe this is that Jesus' kingdom was started. It's here. He started it when he started his ministry, but it's not fully established. We are in the in-between living intention now. That's right, Nate, you know. We're like in those pains in between. But that's what was going on here. Jesus presented himself as the Messiah King who would save the world by his life, death, and resurrection. So, so then we move on in the story and we get the Pharisees' response. They were the experts of the law, Jewish law. Some of the Pharisees among the crowd, they're watching this event take place. Jerusalem's going, who is this man? People are worshiping him. He's riding in on the donkey. They knew the scriptures. They knew what he was doing. He was claiming his kingdom. And so here's their response. Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Stop. This is blasphemy. Don't claim to be the king. Tell, your, tell these people to stop worshiping you. You are not the king. And this response is incredible. He replied, if if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Come on. Here's what's going on here. There's psalms about that, that even the rocks will cry out. The creation is designed to worship its creator. The creation has no choice but to worship. A flower bursts out in spring. You start seeing these flower buds come out. They have no choice but to reflect the beauty and the creativity and the design of God. The sun rises in all the creativity. It reflects the glory of God. It has no choice. It does what it's made to do. But the only people who have a choice are human beings made in the image of God. We have a choice to worship him or not. Isn't that incredible? We have the choice to worship God or not. The creation, the natural world doesn't have a choice. It just worships. If these people designed to worship God choose not to worship him as king, the rocks will cry out. Isn't that good? It's an honor and a privilege to be able to worship God. But I love Jesus. He's, he, you know, he was covert before, but now he's full on claiming his authority. And the Pharisees were some of his biggest enemies. He looks them dead in the eye and says, that's fine. If they don't worship, these rocks will worship me because I've made them. Love it. And so then... So I'm thinking, like, Jesus is bad to the bone here. He just silenced them. But here, but, and so, you know, I love tough Jesus. But, but here we get, um, you know, the, 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 the compassion and the gentle Jesus. His, so that was the Pharisees' response. The next lines is Jesus' response. It says this, But as he came closer to Jerusalem, he saw the city and he began to weep. He was moved to tears as he looked over these people. 
And he said, how I wish today that all the people would understand the way of peace. He wanted them to know and experience what he was doing, but they couldn't. And he weeped for them because they were going to miss out on spiritual peace with God. And they would miss out on his kingdom. And he, was, he wasn't mad. He was moved to tears because he longed for them to know him. But they could not recognize him. And so he weeped. And that is our Savior. That is our King. That is our God. He loves people. I think the closest thing we could do to relate to this, if, if, if you have a child that is wayward and you weep for them because you want something better for them. But that is Jesus' posture towards you and towards all mankind. He's a Messiah King that came to save the whole world with his life, death, and resurrection. And then he says, but now it's too late. The peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and circle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize when God visited you. Emmanuel, God with us. It was forecasted in the scriptures. In Isaiah 53, his death is detailed, pierced for our transgressions, beaten to the point of being unrecognized. They missed the Messiah King and his mission to die for their sins. And he weeps for them. But here's what's interesting. He's prophesying to them right now. And we're on this side of history, so we get to see it. About 40 years later from this moment, the Jews who missed the Messiah, the Savior King, and all they wanted was him to, to, to get rid of Rome. Rome conquered them even more. About, about 40 years later from this moment, the temple was destroyed. This is the city of Jerusalem, David's city. It's the identity place for the Jews and their nationalism. But then the temple is, is like, don't touch the temple. The temple was where the presence of God was to them. It's where they worship God in his presence. It was their place of pilgrimage. And 40 years later, not a stone was left because they came in and destroyed the temple. And from that point in history, Judaism has never been the same. They lost their temple identity. And so there's so much going on here, but I, but I hope the takeaway is this, is this Jesus is introducing for full on who he is. The Jews had it half right. They, they recognized him as the Messiah King, but they missed what he was about to do. And they missed it. They didn't understand the scriptures. Their eyes were, were shut. Their ears were closed. Heart was hard. Jesus presents himself in his full glory. He is the Messiah King in the line of David, you know, that the scriptures forecasted. But his mission first had to come and live perfectly to be an acceptable sacrifice, to die a death on the cross, which was prophesied about, and to be raised from the dead by God's power. 
so that we could have spiritual peace with God, be in a relationship with God. And now we're living in the in-between. And one day he's going to return and he's going to establish his kingdom that does not end. He's going to conquer his enemies and he's going to establish his kingdom. And if you know Jesus, you get to be a part of it. And then I hope you take away the, the way Jesus reveals himself in power, but gentleness and compassion in kindness and love, even love for his enemies. That is our king and he's so humble that he lowers himself. He temporarily set aside his rights as king and his power to serve you and me. Man, there's so many layers in this story. So as we leave here today, I want you to reflect on that and think about that. But the most important questions you can ask yourself is, who do you believe Jesus is? Who do you believe Jesus is? You have to deal with Jesus. He changed history. Have you received him as your Messiah, Savior? The Bible says, confess your sins, acknowledge you need forgiveness and a Savior. Believe in who he is and who he presented himself as Lord and Savior. It's God. And you will be saved when you believe and place your trust in him. Something supernatural happens in heaven and in your life. You're saved. You're, you're brought back into a relationship with God. You're given the Holy Spirit. You're made new. And so if you haven't done that, that is the first step to experiencing true peace and experiencing his future kingdom. But for those of you who are Christians, no matter how long you've been a Christian, there's a takeaway from today. Is he your king? You know, many in the crowd threw their cloaks down as a, as a gesture of submission to his authority. But one of the greatest things we can do as disciples of Jesus is give him kingship in our life every single day. Not just because he's worth it, but it just shows, it shows that we believe he understands how to live in this world the best. The best way possible. And so, so we're submitting and surrendering our lives to him. We've spent so much time talking about salvation, we forgot to talk about kingship and being a disciple under his authority. We need to get back to that. Have you given him authority of your life? And I think it's a daily thing because our desire to be in charge raises its head in my life every day. We have to submit daily to his kingship and authority. And I think that's the best way to worship him because he is King Jesus right now. And one day we will see him as he is fully in his glory. But the best thing we do in faith today is worship him as king by surrendering our lives to him. Remember this week, dwell on these things. Think about these things. Jesus turned his attention towards the cross and he marked the moment by riding it on this awkward donkey to show he is the gentle Messiah King Savior. And he did it because he absolutely loves you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we honor you and praise you as our Savior and King. We give you glory. There is no one like you. God, I pray that you would speak to each one of us today. For those who have never placed their, their trust in you as Savior, 
God, I pray that they would reach their hand out to you and receive salvation. God, I pray for those many of us who are followers of you, believe in you, or secure in you. Help us give you lordship over our life. Help us to treat you as you are as king. You're our best friend, but we cannot forget you are king, Jesus. May we acknowledge that and live in your lordship. In Jesus' name, amen.